listening to Clarification on Springfield's Talk 1041. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. Another weekend in the Ozarks in the middle of December. And we are going to continue our talk. This is kind of like a part two to last week's show. So if you haven't listened to last week's show, which was entitled American Gestapo. I really suggest that you stop now. Go listen to that because we are going to tie into some of the topics that we covered in that show. And if you're new to this show, know that we cover current events, but with a bent on historical context. What do I mean by that? We look at the history of events in the past in order to better understand what's happening in the present. History is never static, as my favorite historian professor said to me one time. He also said to the class that history is circular, that it always tends to come back, that events, similar events happen, that happen in the past tend to happen in the future. So... A quick, I'm not going to go over last week's show, like I said, I'd rather that you go listen to it. But we talked about how American intelligence services and law enforcement were influenced by the Nazis and the Gestapo and that CIA, FBI, uh, which trickled down to even local law enforcement agencies, used techniques that they learned from the, the Nazis, from the Germans. And the reason they use them is because they're very effective. So when we left off, last week we talked about the Patriot Act in 2001. I want to go back to uh, something, uh, an operation that happened right after World War II. World War II is so seminal in everything we talk about. So many things happened in that period leading up to World War II and immediately following. And as I'm sure you all remember, if you uh, listened in your American history class, that the Soviet Union, which had been communist by this time since 1914, I believe, 13 or 14, was our ally in World War II. But after the war, they... Uh, took half of Europe. Basically, we divided up the world between the Western allies, America, the uh, France and UK and Australia to some lesser extent with the Soviet Union. They basically got half of Europe. We got the other half with Berlin being split down the middle. I'm sure you know that history. And if you ever watch the movie Patton, There's a a great part in that where he talks at the end of the war. He's like, let me take my tank divisions and drive right into Moscow. He knew that the real enemy at this point was the Soviet Union. You know, it's we talked about Operation Paperclip last week, too, where America secretly brought thousands and thousands of Nazis into America. There was this big... Uh, rush to grab the best and the brightest, both in science, 
like Werner von Braun, who headed NASA, but in, in law enforcement intelligence. We brought the guy who headed all of Hitler's concentration camps. Now, this is history that you're not told. The Operation Paperclip certainly has been reported on. People know about it. But I want to talk about another operation to start the show called Gladio. Operation Gladio. It was the code name for a clandestine stay-behind operations of armed resistance fighters that was organized by the Western Union, which was what... Western Union was the precursor to NATO. It was founded in 1948, and NATO was formed in '49. And by the CIA. So basically, this was a CIA op in collaboration with other European intelligence agencies. And Gladio specifically refers to the Italian branch of the NATO Stay Behind. And and the reason it focused more on Italy is you have to understand at the time. You remember, Italy was part of the Axis powers, which was Hitler, Japan, you know, Hitler, Nazi Germany, Japan, Spain, and uh, Franco, who was the fascist ruler in Spain, and then Mussolini, who was the ruler in Italy. So after the war, after Mussolini was defeated in Italy, there were several different factions vying for power. Italy was not one of those countries either given to the West or to the Soviet Union at the end of the war. It was kind of left on its own. Now, Germany was kind of split down the middle, as we know, but but Italy was left on its own. So you had communists vying for power in Italy against more pro-Western, you could say pro-democratic, although... You know, I think they were probably more the leftover from the Mussolini fascist regime. But what what Gladio did, they specialized in something called a false flag. And I'm sure you've heard that term before, that a false flag is when a military force does an operation and then blames it on somebody else. Now, this this happened numerous, dozens, maybe hundreds of times in post-World War II Europe, Italy being the focal point, but it also happened in other places. There was a, a group called the White Russians. Now, you've heard of the drink, White Russian, but it's named after a famous group of anti-communist Russians. The CIA which was formed in 1947, two years after the end of the war. The OSS became the CIA. The CIA poured millions and millions of dollars into these anti-communist activities. And so, they, you know, these guys were the ultimate tricksters. So, for instance, they would, they would set a bomb in the railway in Rome and blow it up and kill 200 people then they'd issue a press release pretending it was from the communists taking credit for it. And it was incredibly effective because you got to understand, it's, it's the weapon of terror. What is terrorism? I mean, if you look up the definition of terrorism, basically it's, it's using violence 
to terrify the public. And what happens when the public is fearful? They're much more likely, they're much more likely to acquiesce to giving up their freedoms and their liberties in favor of security. So this game has been played over and over and over. And what I'm going to do in the show is we're going to go over some of the uh, seminal events that have happened in American history over the last, let's say, 30, 40 years, but even, even recent, very recent events, as recent as January 6th, and tie them in that they all have the same footprint as Operation Gladio. These are Gladio events. That's why I'm titling this show. It's uh, American Gestapo Part 2, American Gladio. Because Gladio didn't go away after World War II or after the events immediately following World War II. Gladio, in fact, is in effect Today, it's a very effective tool that our intelligence agencies, primarily the FBI, the CIA, the DNI, military intelligence, use to do what? They use it to terrify you, the public. I mean, do you remember the, uh, the fear that we had after 9-11? And what happened? The deep state was able to pass the legislation, the Patriot Act, and all kinds of uh, legislation that just trampled on the Bill of Rights, particularly the Fourth Amendment, which protects us from unreasonable search and seizure. So when we come back, we're going to start going over, ticking them off, American Gladio events. It's clarification. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Clarification, I'm your host, James Clary. We're talking about American Gladio. You may have never heard the term Gladio. Had you ever heard that, Sarah? I just want Sarah, the producer, shaking her head no. So Gladio really didn't really come to light because it was so secret, so clandestine that uh, like there was a parliamentary report in 2000, the year 2000, a parliamentary commission report asserted that a strategy of tension had been supported by the United States to stop the communists from reaching power in Italy. And, you know, the communists did come very close to taking power in Italy in uh, elections. If there had not been these Gladio events, the communists would have been voted into power in Italy. And look, the, the CIA in the West just wouldn't allow that. You know, the, the stuff that the CIA is involved in is so distasteful that John Kennedy, as I'm sure you know, before his death, murder by CIA in part, had said that he thought that the CIA should be broken up into a thousand pieces. Uh, I was just, I, I'm going to live this a little off track, but I was watching the show Narcos Mexico. There's two Narcos. One is about Escobar and Cali, the Colombian 
Medellin, the Colombian cocaine cartels. But the other one is about uh, the Mexican cartels. And I'm sure some of you remember the name Kiki Camarenas was a DEA agent who was tortured for 30 hours. All his ribs were broken. His face was broken. His jaw was broken. They drilled holes in his head. I mean, the what poured acid. I mean, the, the things they did were so horrific. I, it's, it's honestly hard to imagine. And a lot of this has just come out. I mean, in the last year or two, the CIA was not only present at the torture of Kiki Camarenas, a DEA agent, they actually ran the questioning. So anyway, I mean, nothing, when I dig into these stories, I'm never surprised at what I find. Now, you know, in their defense, they'll say, playing devil's advocate, the CIA will say, it's kind of like that speech in that movie, A Few Good Men, that Jack Nicholson made. You don't, you can't handle the truth. You want people like me on the wall. I mean, that that whole speech that Nicholson did in that movie directly comes from the CIA's attitude. You know, we have to do horrible things to protect America from horrible people. But the problem is we found that over the last, since 9-11, so what, 22 years, there really hasn't been any substanti- substantiated terror attacks. The, one, the, ta- the attacks that the FBI has said that they have stopped were all created by the FBI. So that's what we're talking about, American Gladio. I want to talk to you a little bit about... Um, one of the most seminal events that I consider an American Gladio event happened on April 19th, 1995 in America's heartland in Oklahoma City. On that morning, there was a horrific explosion, explosions with an S, parentheses, and the explosion took place at the Edward, the excuse me, at the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. This was a building that housed primarily ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agents, and their staff and supporting staff. There was also a daycare in the. Uh, in the Murrah building, and many, many children were killed. I'm actually looking up to see the exact number because it was, I mean, it was absolutely horrific. But when you begin to look into it, even a cursory search, it is incredible what you find. So it said, April 1995 is the deadliest act of terrorism in U.S. history until September 11th and remains the the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. And now this is right from Wikipedia, which is the deep state's mouthpiece. I hope you know that. The Wikipedia, the information there. By the way, Nick Reed, 
of this station. I'm sure you know Nick, if you listen to this station. He and I were talking before the program about how much information is censored. But, I mean, it's really hard to find some of the stuff that I find. And many times I go to a page of a video I've watched before, and it says 404 not found. But anyway, so Oklahoma City was supposedly perpetrated by two anti-government extremists and white supremacists. They have to throw that in every time. Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. There's no evidence, by the way, that either one of them ever espoused any Aryan nation pro-white sentiments at all. There's no evidence of that. As a matter of fact, I mean, well, I could do a whole show on Terry, on uh, Tim McVeigh. I've done deep dives into it. Tim McVeigh let me just tell you, was a CIA asset who was sheep-dipped. And if you don't know what sheep-dipped means, it means that all of his information, personal information and records are completely scratched and a new identity is built for him. And that's exactly what happened to Tim McVeigh. He definitely worked for military intelligence. Uh, The bomb killed, by the way, 168 people, injured 680. Now, here's what I find absolutely fascinating were the early news reports. Listen to this. Trailer into the scene here. They're trying to move people out of the way so they can get it in. Appears to be the Oklahoma County bomb squad uh, it's their bomb disposal unit, essentially, is what it is, and it is what they would use to, if, if the report that we gave you just a few moments ago turns out to be correct, that they have found a second explosive device of some kind inside this building. They'll back that trailer down there, and the uh, bomb squad folks will go in, and they will use that, uh, that trailer. You see the, the bucket on the back there, sort of, this is how they... All right, so what you're hearing, what you just heard, was just a short clip of the initial media reporting that came out after the bombing. Now, I'm on Wikipedia. And on Wikipedia, it tells you that there was one bomb, that it was a Ryder truck bomb that was set by one guy, Timothy McVeigh. Well, we know the the actual if you go back and listen and I'll link to a, some YouTube videos that you can find by some investigators that shows that there were as many as four bombs in the building. Now, the government's told us it was one bomb. Tim McVeigh blew up. Uh, blew up a rider truck. At first, they, they didn't even say rider truck. They said it was a car bomb. Then they thought, wow, a car couldn't hold that much explosives. There were columns cut. I mean, the forensic evidence is, is incredible as to just the explosion that proves it couldn't have been a car bomb that caused the destruction. Eyewitnesses all said that they felt the building shake And that literally holes open up in the building. And then there was a blast from outside. There was an outside car bomb, but there were several. The ATF, you just heard that clip. They admitted there's another clip that I saw where they said, yes, we've recovered 
and defused a, an intact bomb, and it's going to give us so much evidence as to who made the bomb, where it was made, and who planted it. None of this, all of this was swept under the rug. You won't find any of this information on mainstream sources. None of it was ever entered into the trial of either Terry Nichols or Tim McVeigh. Why is that? Why did the story change? Here's another little odd coincidence about OKC. The ATF agents that were there that day, or excuse me, that were supposed to be there that day, they had all received attacks the day before. Don't show up to work tomorrow. What? Do you think that was Tim McVeigh warning the agents not to show up for work? Now think about this for a minute. That means there had to be higher planning in the highest parts of our intel agencies. Now, there was an anti-terrorism bill that had stalled in Congress before the bombing because it was really before, you know, this was before the Patriot Act, but it was a similar type bill that would give the deep state much more authority to surveil citizens without warrants. That legislation had stalled immediately following the OKC bombing. That legislation was passed unanimously. You know, one other little tidbit about the uh, OKC bombing, the Whitewater investigation, which really could have taken down Bill Clinton's presidency about how they colluded in a real estate scam in Arkansas. All of the papers associated with the Whitewater investigation, guess where they were stored? The Murrah building. And they were never recovered. Let that sink in for just a minute. It's clarification. We'll be right back. And is your land? This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Hey, everybody. It's clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. We're talking about American Gladio. That is events planned by the American Intelligence Services, the deep state, if you will. And, you know, look, I can't draw a direct line to exactly what forces are involved in these nefarious activities. All I can do is give you the evidence that the activities as reported by the mainstream media, they don't add up. So we know the media is in collusion. I mean, I know the listeners of this show know that. That's like no big surprise. But, you know, a couple, uh, another just the, another aspect of the story of Oklahoma City, and then I'll let that go and we'll move on to some other ones. But there was a policeman named Terrence Yakey who was the first first responder on the scene after the bombing. He arrived within 10 minutes of the explosions, and I say explosions because we know there were more than one, even though the government says there weren't. He arrived within 10 minutes. He pulled seven people out of that building. He was hailed as a hero. He spent hours that day on site saving lives. Terrence Yakey, 
a hero. He was given the keys to El Reno, his home city, and he was given all the Distinguished Service Award. You know, the guy was a total hero. Well, when he got home that night and he was watching the news, now you heard a clip I played earlier of the early reports. The early reports, if you look up uh, Oklahoma City bombing, listen to the early media coverage, they were correct. The story began to change as the day went on and as the weeks went on. You've got a completely different story than what the first people on the scene told you. Now, you might say, well, you know, people are confused and da-da-da-da-da. But Yankee goes home, he watches the news, and he says to his wife, honey, something's wrong. That isn't what happened. First thing he knew, he knew there were other explosives in the building. He was working with the bomb squad units. I mean, he wasn't working with them. He was in the building at the same time that these guys were defusing other bombs. He saw the the, the uh, demolition, the damage done. Core columns were destroyed in that building. And every analyst that's looked at it said there's no way a core column could be destroyed from a bomb planted outside the building. It's impossible. Why would the government cover this up? Because they want you to buy a certain story. Look at Wikipedia. Far right, domestic terrorists, white supremacists. It's the same song and dance over and over. And what happened? Well, they got that legislation passed. This is how evil these people are. They're willing to blow children to bits just so they have more power and reach. Just so they can listen to more of your phone calls, to read more of your emails. It is outrageous. Anyway, I digress. Yiki, here's another thing. The, the official story says the bomb was made from uh, fertilizer, ammonium fer- fertilizer. Let me tell you something. When a bomb explodes that's made with ammonium nitrate, it creates a deadly gas. Yiki wouldn't have lasted 30 seconds if that bomb had gone off and was made of the fertilizer as told to us. The whole area would have been blanketed with this gas that causes people to get violently ill. Yiki never suffered any ill effects. There was no gas because it wasn't an ammonium nitrate bomb. So get this. Yiki collected records for a year. He investigated this, even though the FBI had told him, but particularly the chief of police in Oklahoma City and his colleagues, they harassed him constantly, called him a nut job, a conspiracy, you know, get off. They tried to keep him from investigating this. His family reported that he began to appear very ill and that he was terrified. They said he was paranoid. He said, I feel like he said, I know people are following me. They're after me. The night before he died, and he did die, but the night before he died, he showed up at his sister's house. She said he looked extremely ill and he was very tired. And he said, I don't think they can find me here. So he went there just to get some sleep. Now, the next day, he said, I've got to get up early because I've got to go do my D.A.R.E. program at the station. He was still an active police officer. 
So the next day, his sister gets a call from his partner and says, hey, where's Terrence? He didn't show up for the D.A.R.E. program. His sister says, I have no idea. He left here early this morning. Yiki's car was found on May 8th, 1996. There was blood all over the inside of the car. There was even blood between the, the uh, back windshield and the seats. And it dripped all the way down there in the back seat. Now think about that for a minute. Blood all over the car. The car sat there, was found early in the morning, and they didn't find Terrence's body until later that evening, almost 12 hours later. They found his body a mile and a half from the car, and he had crossed a barbed wire fence. Now this is what the authorities ruled. They ruled it a suicide. They said that he, they found a knife and razors in the car. They said he cut his wrists, cut his own throat. Then he got out of the car, walked, crossed a barbed wire fence, walked a mile and a half, tied his hands behind his back, shot himself in the head with a gun that was never found. You buy that? I don't buy that. I don't buy the fact that a guy can shoot himself with his hands tied. I don't buy the fact that a guy can kill himself and that the gun then disappears. They immediately ruled it a suicide. Oh, and I forgot to mention that Yiki, before his death, was on the phone to a friend and he said, look, he was on his way to meet somebody. Uh, at in El Reno, it's a little town in Oklahoma. At a, uh, he was going to meet someone at a storage facility because he was going to pull some of the records of his investigation into OKC and share them with this person. And he told the person on the phone, "I'm being tailed. I've got two feds on my tail. Let me shake the tail, you know, get rid of them, and then I'll meet you." That was the last words he spoke. So we know, and he identified them as federal agents. We know that two federal agents were following Terrence Yeeke. And the next thing, he's found to have committed suicide with a gun that can't be found. I mean, it's really kind of hard to believe. Yeeke's wife to this day is, and his family's pleaded for justice. There were other murders post-OKC. There was a guy murdered in a prison who had information that uh, would have cleared McVeigh. The McVeigh wasn't, McVeigh was there as part of the CIA op, but he wasn't this uh, far right terror. He said up until his death, I'm a patsy. Guess who else said that? Lee Harvey Oswald? McVeigh never admitted guilt because he knew he wasn't guilty, but he also knew. I think there's a chance McVeigh's still alive. Now, that's a little crazy, but you never know. It's clarification. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. So, OKC was a government op. I mean, that, that's fairly clear. There were several school shootings. I'm not going to mention them here because the uh, the consequences can be severe. But some of them were obvious government ops. What about Las Vegas? We talked a bit about Las Vegas 
Remember what the FBI said the motive was for Stephen Paddock? Stephen Paddock, if you don't don't recall, Las Vegas, the shooting in Las Vegas was the uh, largest domestic uh, terror attack ever in the United States. So Stephen Paddock was the guy that the police tagged as the gunman, even though dozens, maybe hundreds of witnesses and audio evidence. I've listened to the audio evidence. There's uh, reported that there were more than one gunman, that gunfire was coming from multiple directions. And I mean, if you look into that incident at all, once again, go back, the, see the local media just as they did in OKC, they don't they haven't been given the agenda because sometimes the agenda hasn't been completely formed until after the event. And that's when authorities say, OK, kids, this is what we need to make it look like. This is how we're going to handle the press. This is what we do. So the local media in L.A. was just reporting what they heard. And the, it's crazy. They were running to different hotels. There were guns found. I remember the incident at, uh, I think it was the MGM, where there was uh, just a group of uh, SWAT team running through the casino. I mean, it was just it was just madness. And often these incidents are like that. You know, there's there's they're intended to sow terror and confusion. But the FBI, did you remember what they told us the motive was? Oh, that's right. They didn't. No motive? Really, they had all of Paddock's computers. They had all of his hard drives. They had all of his social media posts, all of his phone calls, texts, emails, etc. The NSA collects all of that. Yet they couldn't find one bit of evidence as to a motive. And they said he was alone in the room, even though he'd ordered room service for two people a couple hours before the shooting happened. The the uh, the guy that was supposedly wounded, the officer, he was hailed as a hero. Why did he go in hiding? He's still in hiding. He did one sanctioned interview that lasted about 90 seconds. And the reason, look, the uh, I'm trying to remember the, the sheriff's name in, in, in uh, Clark County, Las Vegas, uh, he was. Oh, Lombardo. Lombardo was the sheriff. And he did these press conferences after the event. And he would always stand there and he had FBI, he had feds surrounding him. And his answers were nonsensical. That's where Laura Loomer got her start. She lived in Las Vegas, I believe, at the time, or at least went out there and uh, would ask tough questions. I think after the first or second day, she was banned from the press conferences. Well, what's the purpose of a press conference if you're not allowed to ask questions? So anyway, Las Vegas looks like another deep state planned attack. And enter uh, Michael Chertoff. Chertoff was very involved in 9-11. He was involved in the uh, defense industry. Uh under George W. Bush, he was uh, the Chertoff group. Michael Chertoff and his partner, Neocon Sheldon Adelson, they were the architects of the Chertoff group, which is a global, I'm, I'm quoting from their site, a global security and risk management company. And 
Adelson and Chertoff had made billions in the defense industry, but they were looking to score on another front by supplying Las Vegas casinos with a very high-tech metal detection machine that their company had developed, and it was going to be worth a billion dollars, something along those lines. Um, Well, it had stalled. The casino said, we don't need it. Well, guess what happened immediately after this, this shooting? The machines were bought from the Chertoff group. What are the chances that Adelson and Chertoff, two guys well-connected with the whole 9-11 attack, are also connected to the Las Vegas shooting? I mean, it's just weird. Others, the the same, they had a, a national, well-funded nas, neocon national security advocacy group with both Republican and Democrats who want a war with Iran, and they're the ones pushing the regime change in in Syria. Other members of the group are William Crystal and Mike Morrell, among others. This is the Lincoln Project. You may have heard of them. They're, they're never Trumpers. They played a big part in the line to the American public into backing the Iraq war. They were the ones that pushed the arming of terrorists in Libya and Syria. Remember, we armed, actually, we created ISIS. They engineered the neocon-led coup in Ukraine in 2014. They worked with, with Mueller to create the Russian collusion hoax. There's, you know, and Chertoff, Adelson, all, all these guys, Bill Crystal. They're just bit players in a massive global group that pushes an agenda that suits their purposes. Their purposes happen to be diametrically opposed to what most of you and what I believe should be the direction our country should be going in, and that's to promote the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, personal liberty, and freedom, and they are dead set on taking it away. You know, Trump, unfortunately, was surrounded by a bunch of these people. You know, Jeff Sessions was in a... I just I read something this morning about how uh, John Roberts, the chief... Supreme Court Chief Justice is totally in collusion with these groups. Well, we we can tell that from some of his rulings, but this thread actually dissected the actual people in his office with direct ties to these warmongering neocon groups. And it's funny how these people just switch sides. I mean, you look at Karl Rove, Karl Rove, a, a GOP strat. Karl Rove's a liberal Democrat. He's all in on this stuff. The neocons, remember I told you, it's hard to distinguish sometimes between the right and the left. The neocons will run either direction. Right now, they're coming at it from the left because it suits their purposes. I mentioned the... Uh, the show Narcos Mexico, where a CIA agent was present 
in the questioning and torture of a DE agent, Kiki Camarenas. The other uh, narco show, which is produced on Netflix, and I highly recommend it, but, <laughs> I mean, it's insane. The narco traffickers in Colombia gave a $6 million campaign contribution to the president of Colombia. And he gave him a get out of jail free pass. And it wasn't until a couple honest DE agents working with the media exposed this and actually had recordings of him and his officials talking about money. To the, Look, the same thing's happening now. All of our officials are corrupt and the deep state, the the apparatus that enforces their aims is this American Gladio Gestapo-like force that runs through military intelligence. It runs through the FBI, runs through the CIA, and they work in conjunction with Mossad, with other Western intel services. They have a global network. And they don't, not only do they not care about you, they do care about you. Because you represent everything that they are against. And the only thing, the only thing that's keeping them at bay right now is the Second Amendment. Now, they're trying to foment, in my opinion, a civil war. And and I'm not the only one that believes this. I mean, you look at the, the race baiting and race hatred that's going on. You look at the... the war and the gender ideology they just divide 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 that's all they want to do you know and i encourage you guys talk to your friends that claim to be liberal because if you actually sit down and have a heart to heart with them you'll find that you agree on most things they're just they're ignorant they're uneducated i i heard some guys at a a place i was working the other day and they just parroted the mainstream media narrative. Yeah, Trump got, I heard I heard one guy say, and I didn't interject at all. I just kept my mouth shut. But this is, yeah, Trump, his dad gave him all his money, and then he went out and lost it all. I mean, who believes that nonsense? Yeah, Trump did get some money from his father. I think it was $10 million. He turned it into a billion. And yes, out of several hundred companies he owned, a couple went bankrupt. Well, that's... You know, that's par for the course. Some of the richest men in the world have declared bankruptcy multiple times, including Springfield's own John Q. Hammonds. So, you know, the point of this show is just question everything. Use discernment. When something comes out in the media, like the COVID thing, COVID is a perfect example of another terror attack set upon us, the American and global population, and they use the media to foment foment fear and terror. Remember the, the images of like, I'll never forget the New York hospital, Elmhurst, and they said, you know, there are lines out the door, people streaming in to try and get treatment. So some citizen drives to that hospital, takes a video, and there's nobody there. It was all fake. The media 
lies to you constantly. I don't trust them. Fortunately, there's an alternative media. This show happens to be a very small part of it. But there's many other people out there that do truth in reporting. So just beware. Be careful. Be safe. Make your world smaller. Hold your loved ones close. Stay free. Stay salty, my friends. We'll see you next week.